Where's the manager? Walzer Automotive presents Car Selling Secrets. 80, right? Welcome to Walzer Automotive Group's Car Selling Secrets. I think this is episode 80, the podcast they said would never last. Yes, you're right. Um, really excited with today's guest. Cliff Banks is joining us uh, via phone. He's probably one of, probably, I shouldn't say probably, the foremost automotive journalist writing in the country today. Really interesting cat. I'm super glad that he's going to be on. And we will be right back with Cliff after this exciting announcement. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best your best interest in mind correct well you want to know what your rights are you know whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not that's a choice it's a free consultation and you want to understand what your all your rights are and what coverages you have and plus the fact i hang out with you so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if i'm hanging out with you uh, maybe <laughs> uh, okay ladies and gentlemen michael bryant bradshaw and bryant You just can't help it. No. I know. Sorry. Welcome to Car Selling Secrets and joining us from Cliff, where are we calling you at? Are you in uh, Michigan? Yes, I am. I'm uh, just outside of Detroit. All right. Cliff Banks is joining us for Car Selling Secrets. Tom, uh, the host of the show, is uh, remote from Florida, so we're in Michigan, Minnesota, and Florida. This should work perfectly. There you go. The first hour of Tom's podcast, we just got done interviewing uh, a guitar player from some band you probably never heard of called Genesis, and he was calling from England, so it was kind of fun. (laughs) So I'm the follow-up to, or Genesis was the, Warm up. Yeah, he was there with the Steve it. Hackett was a warm up band for Cliff Banks. <laughs> Cliff, before we get started, uh, this is a car selling secrets tradition. Uh, tell us the story of the very first car you owned. It was a 1986 Renault Alliance. Oh my God! Built in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Oh yeah, yeah. Four door sedan. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're going back thirty some years, but maybe a one point seven liter. You know front-wheel drive piece of junk car. But, uh, <laughs> were, the, were all the other cars spoken for? Why did you wind up in a Renault appliance? As I remember that's what we used to call uh, it. It's a long story, but, uh, but it served me well for a couple of years. And then after that, it just uh, started falling, ap- falling apart. Yeah, they, yeah. That's of course there weren't. You know, back then there really weren't very many great cars in the '80s, but there were certainly some that that's were true. way better than others. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, it was a rough period for the U.S. automotive industry from a vehicle. Well, I want to talk about the current uh, U.S. auto industry, but before we get there, I, I've met Cliff uh, once or twice. I think the first time I met you, 
you were doing a uh, there's a speaking engagement with uh, a bunch of car dealers from Brazil, and Alan Crutch, I think, set it up. Do you remember that? It was at the Grain Exchange in Minneapolis. It was probably, what, four yes. or five years ago? Yes, I was, uh, yeah, I was working with a, a former car dealer out of Wisconsin. Uh, oh, John Lancaster, so, right? John Lancaster brought me in on that, and uh, so I spent a couple days with the Brazilian dealers, and one of the days we spent with the entire Walzer organization, which was phenomenal. It, it was really, it was a really weird experience. I didn't talk very much, but basically, <laughs> Cliff and I and Alan pissed off the interpreter because apparently interpreting is takes a lot of strength and energy, and we were talking way too fast. <laughs> she yes, kept see, yes, getting mad at us, going, "Slow down!" It's like, oh, I will try to keep up, sister. <laughs> yes, I met with those same dealers uh, a year ago, um, uh, in. Uh, in, I think it was, uh, I think it was in Vegas. Okay. Yeah, it was in Las Vegas. Yeah, I met with the same same dealers. Uh, spent a couple of days with them again. So great, great group of guys of, of uh, business owners. Well, it's always you know, there's a divide. I think probably in any business, uh, but certainly I've seen it in the automotive business. People that are passionate and they're engaged and they're looking at the future and then there's another group that just want things to be like it always was right. and and i think especially with the accelerated change in our industry and most industries to be honest that it's you really want to be in the former group and not the latter true true before we get into all the questions i have about cars i did read something about you that i found fascinating i'm sure you've, ha- you've been forced to tell this story a million times before but i don't think our listeners have heard it can you tell the story you grew up in philadelphia wound yes. up wanting to go up to uh, start your career up in michigan what happened in the trip on the way <laughs> oh wow yeah that's uh, another long story i'll give you the cliff notes version of that Pun intended there. I got um, it. Yeah, I uh, actually, uh, this was before I bought my first car, which I actually ended up buying in Detroit. I uh, was, I had a friend here in Detroit who wanted me to move out. I was, had some family stuff going on in Philadelphia with grandparents, and uh, that had ended. So I, he had found a job for me. I was 20. I was a kid. I mean, I was 20 years old, loading cars on the train. In one of the distribution yards here in Detroit. Great paying job. So I jumped on a train and came out, and uh, uh, in the process, um, going from, uh, I, I was in New York City at the time. The way the train path worked, it'd go from Philadelphia to New York and then change trains, change stations in New York, actually, and then take the train to Dearborn. I got robbed. Getting uh, getting into a cab in New York City, and uh, all my money, everything <laughs> gone. <laughs> so I showed up, uh, you know, basically penniless with just the clothes on my back in uh, Detroit. And my friend graciously allowed me to stay on his stay in his basement for a few weeks until I was able to make enough money at this job to. Uh, to find the other living arrangements, and it, and it worked out. I stayed, uh, stayed here in Detroit, and everything's worked out. But yeah, it was a little bit of a rough start. Yeah, you know, New York's a tough place when they rob twenty-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, there was a lot more to that story, but, but it, was, uh, <laughs> it was quite the experience. I thought I was going to die or be homeless in New York for a little while. Did you really? Actually. Well, you know, I, I didn't have any money, and it was, there, you know, it was the era before cell phones. And, you know, you just, you know, you know, when it first happens, you have all sorts of things running through your head. Um, and then you settle down and just get with the stick with the plane as much as possible. Yeah, you, you. When you're 20, you think you're kind of bulletproof. I was a. I, when I was going through yeah. co- going to college, I drove cab for a part-time job, and this is in the late 70s, early 80s, and it was about the time they invented crack. So it was not really a great time to be in any urban city, and got robbed at gunpoint a couple of times. And I remember after the last time, I thought, yeah, I might want to rethink this as a career choice. <laughs> was that in Minneapolis? Or? Yeah, yeah, Minneapolis. Oh wow, wow. So you wind up, you're loading cars onto freight trains, and how did you, when did you take up automotive journalism? What was that journey like? Uh, it's a long story. I ended up first starting uh, working for a sales training company in the automotive retail space. We did primarily new vehicle launches for the OEMs to the dealers, so the guys that brought the vehicles into town and trained the dealers how to sell them. Uh, and there, there was a lot of other, so, you know, work along side with that and through that ended up man, through that job started working my way up to the company and uh, I could always string a couple you know words together intelligently so I was writing some sales training material writing proposals um, but anyway I ended up getting a job at Wards in 2000 Wards Automotive which uh, produces a lot of data regarding the auto industry and they had a dealer um dealership uh, magazine, magazine for car dealers. Um, you know, that's another long story, but uh, but I ended up getting into uh, getting into writing stories for the magazines and the websites there, and within six years I was editorial director of all the retail properties that we had. Um, so it was, I found my niche, I guess. No, you certainly did, and I, I, to say you're able to string words together is it's a little bit humble. Uh, for those of you that are not automotive in, in the automotive business, Cliff uh, writes something called the Banks Report. The first time I read it, I God, it had to be ten years ago, and a friend of mine had it. I'm like, God, this is really insightful information, and he goes, "It's expensive." I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Well, it's seven hundred dollars a year to to, to 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 subscribe." I can't even speak. Uh, to that page, and uh, and it just pretty much all the OEMs, anybody's who who's anybody in our business reads the bank's report, and it's and it really is uh, quite well written. I, I enjoy uh, oh, reading it. So, so let's talk about the future. I mean, this to me this seems like about as crazy time in the automobile world as it probably was like I think back in the early 1900s, where we we've, we've been stable for a long time, but now technology has changed. Uh, dealer business models have changed. We've got upstart companies like Tesla. Well, they're not really an upstart anymore. They become mainstream. True. Uh, true. And uh, you know, I've got friends asking me about Reven, and they think they're good trucks. And so, there's. What do you think's going to happen in the next ten years? Read the tea leaves for us. Well, I think we're in, we're in kind of a holding period right now. I uh, uh, I wrote a couple of years ago. Uh, in an opinion piece, essentially, just saying that, really, you know, for over 100 years, this industry has really been the same industry. I mean, yep. We knew 
you know, we knew what the vehicles would look like. We knew they would be gas-driven. Uh, the sales and distribution model pretty much has remained unchanged, except for some tweaks in, like, financing and lending and some other things. But for the most part, I mean, it's dealers selling cars to customers, and uh, they're fuel-driven. Uh, uh, but we don't really know <laughs> over the next five to ten years what it's going to look like. Uh, you know, I, certainly all the talk about electric vehicles and, and the focus is on the electric vehicles. All the investment money is going there now. Uh, you mentioned Tesla and Rivian. Um, you know, I, and, and I think we're, we're getting there and we're moving the needle much faster. I think General Motors today just announced that they plan to be completely EV by 2040. And some other automakers are saying, you know, the mid-30s, 2030. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's moving quickly. The question is the customer. You know, is the customer going to be willing to purchase, to buy these vehicles? And, and it looks like that's starting to, you know, a change from, a, you know, three, four, five years ago to where the answer is going to be yes. But, again, you guys, you, you're in Minnesota. You know, I, I'm in Detroit. In cold weather, the uh, EV range drops by 35, 40, 50%. Yep, that's right. Um, so there, there's a lot of things that have to be worked out yet. We're really behind, I guess, on the on the you know, charging infrastructure. Uh, that, that a lot of things have to happen for us to for the electric vehicle to become a primary mode of transportation. But it appears that it's happening. Um, that that might be the biggest story. You know, I think in automotive right now, um, but again, I, it's going to take a, a few years for that to, for that to play out. I think the second one is that I'm looking at is the connected vehicle. Uh, at some point, every vehicle is going to be connected to the internet, throwing off massive amounts of data mm-hmm. about the vehicle, about the owner, the driver. That's going to fundamentally change the relationship that the manufacturers have with customers. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to open up a whole new world in terms of um, the way customers or owners interact with their vehicle. I think we're already starting to see manufacturers that are floating the, the concept of of subscription-related services within the vehicle, such mm-hmm. as heated steering wheel, heated air, you know, cooled seats, um, and who knows what other things that they can think of. Uh, so we'll, we'll probably start seeing more of those types of models, uh, you know, over the next few years. Um, Cliff, I've got a couple I, of questions about yes. e-commerce, but we've got to take a quick commercial break, sure. and we'll be right back in uh, about a minute or two. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned, everybody. Tom Bernard with CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Great to have you here, Michael. Always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. Michael, can you tell me, what do you like most about your job? Well, I know we only have a minute, so the short version is how we build relationships with our customers, being able to drive around town and see all the businesses we've been able to help, and how that translates to jobs for their employees, and the impact that makes on families in our area. It's truly rewarding. I also love to see the families that started banking with us 22 years ago when their children were young. Now those kids are adults. They're banking with us too. Lastly. 
I'd say seeing our customers' reactions when we're able to do something unexpected for them, like deliver cash directly to them when they need it, but physically can't come to the bank. I love what I do. Did you bring some of that cash here today? Huh? <laughs> Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. The 2021 Bloomington Boat Show is here and going on now. Over 60 boats on display from Premier, Avalon, Berkshire, Alumacraft, and more. Over 25,000 square feet means the biggest inventory, the best dealer incentives, and limited-time factory rebates. Since there's a pretty good chance you'll be spending 2021 distancing, do it on the family boat you want. Register to win a new Suzuki outboard valued at $5,000. Suzuki, the ultimate outboard. Shop boats, safe distance, and see what's new for 2021 in a heated 25,000-square-foot showroom at Dan Southside Marine in Bloomington. The biggest inventory means you get the boat you want, rigged the way you wanted it, with every rebate and incentive available. Ask about the new Alumacraft competitor FSX, the best new fish ski crossover on the market. It's the 2021 Bloomington Boat Show at Dan Southside Marine, located six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington. We are back with Cliff Banks on Car Selling Secrets. Um, Cliff, I, I, you wouldn't know this, but Tom, who's this, he's actually the real podcaster. I just get to do this one hour a week. Um, kind of a car nut, and he bought I, what we believe was the first uh, Tesla ever owned in Minnesota, what's it, 10 years ago, Tom? Oh, it's longer than, longer than that. Longer than that, probably 15. Probably 15 now, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow, wow. Tesla Roadster. It was a, uh, Cliff, the only problem with it was I loved that car, absolutely adored it. But then I found out it did something called bricking, that if uh, the battery went yes. dead on the freeway, you couldn't move the car. Yes. <laughs> and you saw That's that as a drawback? I don't have it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. I certainly did. Yes, yeah, no, that still, still can be an issue. All right. But we're, we're we're moving that ball down the down the field pretty pretty quickly. So, hey, Cliff, oh, it still can happen. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of stories, uh, you know, regarding electric vehicles and Tesla. For, certainly, that uh, that make you think twice about whether you you know want to have one, especially as a primary vehicle. Well, the thing about lithium-ion batteries is that if they go 100% dead, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to revive them. So most, if not all, batteries at this time have a special chip that once they get down to, say, 5%, they'll tell you they're dead, they'll stop working, uh, and then they'll go into kind of a dormant state to Hmm. prevent them from getting down to zero. You can never fully discharge a battery, because if you did, you'd destroy it. So basically the danger is you get it down to that 5%, it tells you it's dead, and then you put it in storage for a year or something like that, and it self-discharges down to the actual zero, and at that point it's completely hosed. Cliff, I had a a question from an avid listener who's in automobile racing. He wanted to know what you thought about uh, the future of hydrogen vehicles. I know that that was a big push probably around the recession. Yep. Uh, we actually, actually, your buddy Alan Crutch uh, bought the URL clarity.com. Boy, did Honda get pissed at us about that. 
because it was Honda's first uh, <laughs> hydrogen vehicle, and we we stole the URL. And I then just, we became uh, a Honda funny, dealer, I, so we had to give it back to him. But it was, it was pretty funny. <laughs> it's funny you bring up Clarity. I had someone message me last night, late, it was about one o'clock in the morning, who uh, was relaying his uh, his experience buying the Clarity. Uh, he actually bought two of them in Tennessee, no less. Mm. Uh, and the comparison between buying them online versus buying them at a deal, you know, offline at a dealership. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, the hydrogen vehicle, I, we'll see. I, you know, Toyota is certainly still maintaining their focus or some of their focus on that. Uh, uh, but it seems like right now the EV is is going to be the, Definitely. the uh, propulsion system of choice. But, yeah, at some point we may see some developments on the, EV, on the hydrogen side, too. But at the moment we're nowhere close. Yeah, and it would it would mean at least to me it would seem to mean a huge infrastructure investment. Yeah, yeah. Um, we already have an electrical grid, so it's a question of tapping into it. Mm-hmm. But we don't have a right. hydrogen grid. No, I don't even so. know how you would get hydrogen without having to special order it. Well, right. and my question was in northern climates like Detroit and Minnesota, where you know the only emission from a hydrogen power vehicles i understand it is water mm-hmm. I, right. I don't know that you'd want 50,000 cars dumping water all over the roads yeah. when it's 10 degrees below zero that could make for some <laughs> challenging that driving is true. times true that's a good point and you couldn't certainly store it and drag it around behind you i don't i don't know we'll see it's it's you have to drink it as you drive i, I agree no, 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 that, no, i don't think it's going to happen in our lifetime guys no, no. there's no way it, it would cost hundreds of billions right. of dollars right. to put that infrastructure in place. Right. So let's uh, let's ask a political question. There was, in the last administration, there was a lot of some legal challenges about the California Air Resources Board regulations. For those of us that don't follow uh, this really closely, when the EPA was created in 1970 mm-hmm. or 71, yeah. uh, California asked uh, if they could have their own emission standard and it was actually written into the law, from what I understand. And so for years and years, there's been the U.S. standard and then the California one. And several states, uh, typically more liberal ones, have followed the California standard. I think Massachusetts is probably about 10 or 12 of them. Yeah. Well, in the last yeah. administration, there were the lawsuits back and forth. Uh, and I don't think that they ever got resolved. Um, and the, the the pressure from the administration was to get rid of the 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 carb the California standards. Now some of the OEMs, and I believe it was Ford, BMW, Honda, and Volkswagen, all signed up for the tighter restriction models. What do you think is going to happen with that now that we have a new administration? And if the Biden administration changes it, and then the GOP wins again in four years. Do you think we just keep? We were talking about this earlier. Are we just going to keep going back and forth, or do you think there'll be some clarity and traction? Uh, personally, I, you know, if the GOP wins again, you know, in two four years, I, obviously the desire would be to to move away from that, but. I think by that point, I mean, General Motors and Toyota, who were two of the holdouts pushing back against it, have come on board. Oh, they did? I didn't know that. Yes. Okay. So yeah. there's so, so six of the biggest manufacturers in the yeah. world now are... Yeah, and I think one of the things that, from a main, uh, perspective, from a manufacturing uh, you know, world is, is uh, consistency. 
and knowing what the, what the future is going to look like. So it, if we can, you know, I think if the industry kind of rallies around the California standard, that's probably where, where we're going to end up here at some point um, because manufacturers have made that decision that this is where we're going. So it doesn't really matter, <laughs> I guess, if, if the government tries to tries to change that again. I mean, you're right, it, it's back and forth, and it creates a very, uh, I think, a, a difficult position for manufacturers as they're looking to determine where to invest billions, and we are talking billions of dollars. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I remember going to a Toyota dealer meeting, and Bob Carter was the head of Toyota in the U.S., uh, said something that stuck me to the day. Toyota spends a million dollars an hour every day, every day of the year in research and development. I'm like, wow, that's a lot, that's a lot of money. Yeah. That's a lot of yeah. money. And that was 10 or 12 years ago, so I can yeah. imagine it's only gone up since then. Yes. That's just yeah. R&D costs. Right. Yeah, no, but I, 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 I do understand your point that, that the change is, is what drives them crazy. I remember back, I think it was the summer of 08, it was the year that gas went from like $1.90 a gallon to $4 pretty much overnight. It was like GameStop stock. Right. And everybody traded in their Yukons and their Denali's and their Suburbans and their Explorers and bought Priuses. And when we were out of Priuses, they switched to Corollas. And then six months later, when gas came back to normal, uh, they traded them all back in and bought used Suburbans. And it's, basically, they spent $20,000 to save you know, 600 bucks in gas right. costs. And that, yeah, and that sort yeah. of behavior does, I mean, the manufacturers really, at some point, I think, just want to build what people want and what's going to sell. Uh, and yeah. when, when everything changes like that, it, it gets to be really, really expensive and a tough, a tough business model. Right, right. I think one of the things that's going to impact that, too, I was talking about the connected vehicle. One of the, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're going to start seeing probably communities and cities and states having, you know, a lot of pressure on their budgets from gas prices being low and and driving miles reducing somewhat, uh, you know, we'll probably see more uh, a model of, uh, of uh, taxation by miles driven as opposed to using fuel. I had that conversation with a friend of mine just the other day who's, uh, he thinks that's the end of the world and it's that just taxation is going to take over. And I'm trying to explain, well, you know, most states, all their budget for roads comes from gas tax. In the state of Minnesota, um, under the uh, state, I think it's the Constitution, that's the only thing that gas tax can be used for is maintaining the roads. Which is expensive in the northern climates, like it like sure Minnesota. Is. Oh God! If you, yeah. yeah, you go down to Florida, every the roads are all just perfect and right. lovely to drive on. And Unless you come there's back a right hurricane, here. and then they just have to get the crap off them. But well, you can just but put you them, them back up down, here, and no they're problem. terrible. Oh God, yeah. But you know, with two things going on, with the uh, advent of more and more fuel efficient cars, including electrics, and then suddenly this, you know, there's a lot of businesses are going. You know, I don't need the twenty thousand square foot office anymore. I can get by with five, yep. and have two thirds of the people work from home. These uh, fuel tax revenues that that maintain highways are going to really dry up. And I, I think you're exactly right. People don't like to think of paying a use tax uh, because it is somewhat regressive. Um, yeah. But I, yeah. but I don't know how, wh- what the other solution is. Right. 
yeah it's it's uh it's hard to think of one um and and i think with these cars being connected now it's going to be you know it'd be very easy and simple to determine how many miles each vehicle is driven and yeah just yeah there's no the secrets anymore mm-hmm. annual registration process you know, the, you know leave the license plate away or maybe it's taken out automatically who knows but i'm sure there's I have one more quick question to ask before we take our final break, and then when we come back, I want to talk about uh, e-commerce and digital retailing and all that. But what do you think? How? What's the timeline like for autonomous vehicles? How far into the future do you think that is? Well, yeah, certainly Craftcheck. John Kraftcheck, who runs Waymo, which is I'm a I'm a huge fan of his. We were a Hyundai dealer when he yes. took over and. 2009 mm-hmm. or 10, I thought, man, this yeah. guy is smart. And I really thought yeah. when Mulally retired that Ford would have tried to hire him. There's a story there. <laughs> well, go ahead and tell it. We want to hear well, a story. Well, no, I Cliff just, I think, yeah, you know, listen, uh, you know, Kraftchick had been at, at Lincoln and, and at Ford, and uh, and I, you know, I, I know that Hollywood endings, so to speak, in, in, in a good world, perfect world, you know, it would have been cool to see him come back but that was uh, that was never going to happen um but uh, uh but yeah he is uh, he's doing a phenomenal job i think at growing way more and, and i timeline i i don't think we're going to be seeing a huge influx on our roads of autonomous vehicles for several years mm-hmm. uh you know, they, they, we'll see them on the margins. We'll see them in very specific locations, geofenced, meaning you know they're, they're yep. relegated to specific areas and specific roads. But I don't, I, I don't think we're going to, you know, in 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 the next few years, be uh, be riding around. And uh, I, 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 the reason for asking is somewhat personal, actually. My dad is eight, and my stepmother are both eighty nine. He's losing his memory, and she can't see. Yeah. I'm like, man, you guys got to quit driving. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but it would it would be great, you know. I mean, think about that. It's a whole wide open market for people that are too old to drive safely, uh, handicapped people. I mean, it, it it could be millions and millions. Oh, We've got to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about e-commerce with Cliff Banks on Walzer Automotive Group's car selling secrets. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. I met the folks from Shift Real Estate last year on our way to Key West and loved their story. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees because they list for a flat fee of $5,000, and that includes photos, MLS listing, online marketing, and the assistance of a full-time realtor. Tell Shift about your home, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more. Shift Real Estate, the common sense way to sell your home. Visit shift2sell.com because life is expensive enough. There are definitely things to avoid during a Minnesota winter, like licking a flagpole or waiting too long to replace that car battery. But number one on the list is taking a chance on your furnace. Hey, Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning, reminding you that a furnace clean and tune will improve efficiency, reliability, and peace of mind. Or maybe it's time to take advantage of Sabre's rebates and upgrade to an energy-efficient Bryant system. Don't take chances on your comfort. Visit SabreHeating.com. Sabre and Bryant. Whatever it takes. 
Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is an equal opportunity employer. If I could sing along with this because I sing Doug Sucks, can I do that? <laughs> hey, Cliff, have you ever been on a podcast that actually had commercials? Uh, yeah, I've been on a couple. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, we're kind of so, a rarity. This has been uh, it's, it's been true. a lot of fun to put yeah. this together. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about e-commerce and, and uh this, without making this sound like a commercial, walls are spun off an internal product that we're in the process of taking to market, and I've been involved in that yeah. uh, recently called uh, Fuse Auto Tech, and basically it's a solution that will allow dealers to connect with customers completely digitally, um, and it's just it's such a huge uh, data uh, undertaking. Uh, the end result is that uh, a dealer that uses this product would be able to sell a car completely online. This includes all bank contracts, all state paperwork, so on and so forth. Um, we're really attracted to the idea because we invented it. Um, sometimes you can get in trouble using that sort of yardstick, and it's worked pretty well for us because we're a very progressive auto group. And you know, the, taking the negotiating part out of uh, online transactions is a huge, huge advantage to us. And because we've been doing it for so long, that that part was easy. But the the question is, and we don't know the answer until we launch it, which we will fairly soon, is how is the public going to take this? I mean, there's been attempts to do it, but it's always it's a, the current state of the art is a few steps beyond a form fill, right? I mean, you can exchange some information digitally, but nobody's really been able to right. figure out the last mile, which is how do you get the bank contracts in somebody's head and penny perfect payment generation and all that sort of stuff. And when you think about the size of the problem, we have to be able to figure out tax and registration, 50 states and within states, within counties, and in some counties, it's different tax rate depending on where you, what your zip code is. I mean, just the amount of data management that it's involved. And we think we've figured it out. But my question to you is, are people, is this something that people are going to want? Uh, it, uh, it remains to be seen. I, I think it depends on who you talk to, what, what answer you get. Um, uh, look, we're trying to undo a century of of trained behavior mm -hmm. regarding the car buying purchase. Um, and, and it really is, in, in a lot of ways, the most complicated purchase a person will make. Even can be more complicated than buying a house. Especially if you, you want to factor in the trade and you know, all the different kinds of options. Um, I take that back. I, I just got bought a new cell phone for my wife, and that has been a complete disaster. Yeah. <laughs> and and I'll tell you, T-Mobile, and, and it was much worse than my experience buying, my most recent experience buying a vehicle. <laughs> I mean, much worse. And this so, from a guy that bought a Renault Alliance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I, 
I, there's a lot of work being done on it in the in this industry. There's forty some companies that have some sort of solution. Uh, most that don't get across, you know, that don't get it all the way across the finish line. Uh, I think the Walzer Group is the Fuse Auto Tech, and I've spent some time talking to, to the Walzer folks about it. And uh, recently, um, it is, I think, one of the companies to watch in our space because. You know, the company that nails it, it gets it right. Um, the, the customers are wanting to, certainly showing that they're willing to buy online with, with Vroom, Carvana, some of these others. Um, you know, I, I think uh, some of that behavior that I talked about from the past 100 or so years is starting to change, you know, so... It, 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 it's hard for us as dealers. I mean, I always default for this when we're trying to design or build or solve a problem. It's like pretend you're not in the car business and you're just somebody that wants to buy a car. Is this good or bad? And it's really hard to do that because, you know, of, of our backgrounds and, and what we know. Well, you know, we talk about the one price, and Walzer is the, one of the few groups in the country that I think has really been able to to make that happen um, and make it happen well and profitably. You know, I, you know that's a big question. Is profitability right. there? Yeah. No, uh, we're not a nonprofit organization. No, right. Some car dealers no. are. They own right. Fiat franchises, right. but... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it, 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 it's, it, there's a significant culture change that has to happen within a store. Um, and then you have to market that and train your customers uh, in that buying behavior. And, uh, you know, I, I think, and, you, know, you see, you don't want to turn this into a commercial, but frankly, I think the Walzer group has you know, laid out the template for how to do that. Well, I appreciate and, you saying that. I think the other person that really has single-handedly probably made a larger difference is Dale Pollock. I mean, he took the used car business, which was the wild, wild west, tamed it, and most V Auto dealers, they're either one price or they're one price light. I mean, in the current used car world, right. and and you you said educate the customers. Uh, you know, I read a lot of boards and so on and so forth, and and people are finally getting how the used car deal works uh, in most uh, retail right. dealerships across the country. So I think, you know, in Minneapolis, we weren't the first. We were probably just the biggest. But what helped was. Uh, some of the other big players in time, Maury's Automotive. And in a sense, Luther isn't really one price, but they're close. So after right. 20 years, we've educated the local population, and we still have to defend the business model maybe 15 or 20% of the time. The first year, uh -huh. it was 99%. Everybody tried right. us on constantly, and it was just terrible. Right. But, so I don't know. But you had, the, you had the fortitude and the wherewithal to stick with it and to push through. It's almost like you know, a marathon runner hitting the wall, yep. but sticking with it and pushing through to get to the other side. I'll, um, I'll tell you a funny story about Paul, who's the, old, as you know, the older brother of the uh, two boys that run Walzer, and he was the president for a long time. He's the, currently the chair of uh, NADA. Back in right. the recession, when all dealers were rattled and they thought the end of the world was coming, he had a, I think I was on senior management for about 15 minutes, and we had a, we had a meeting, and he was like, I got a great idea. You know, I think 
we're doing a good deal with this one price thing, but we're not serving the whole market. What if one Saturday a month we had negotiating Saturday? And I said, Paul, that's probably the most singular stupid idea I've ever heard come out of your mouth. I says, we built this whole culture and uh, with people that don't know how to negotiate. And, and he goes, yeah, I, I guess you have a point there. <laughs> well, it is true that a lot of cultures won't buy things unless they can haggle to some degree so there yeah, is that there's know, not a lot of that up in minnesota it what, depends on where you go you it, go to a, well, well we have the largest somali too. population yeah. in the u.s and you go into a toyota store and yep. sometimes you think you're in mogadishu oh it's yeah definitely just they're, they're, for whatever reason toyota is a popular brand with that community and haggling we, is a very very big thing yeah but once culture. they understand that we're not going to do it they go eh, okay that's true but you, but cliff you're right you do have it does take a lot of perseverance and it, it'll be interesting. We're going to go to market with the the main product here. I think in the next uh, sixty days or so. And yes, I'm yeah. excited to see where this journey goes. Yeah, I, I think uh, again that's something I would urge you know you, you folks to to stick with uh, because I think it's going to be slow going at first. But um, but you're you're farther ahead than some of your competition uh, in the dealership world. You're also farther ahead than and some of the third-party products that are out there. Um, well, our advantage is, you know, we've got an even split between really smart programming uh, data right. management people and car guys. And I think a yeah. lot of the third parties, they have the first, but they don't have the second. And they right. don't understand where all the pitfalls and pratfalls are. And the car guys understand that, no, if it's a lease car, you can't treat it as a trade for to decrease the balance owing and so on and so forth. So. Well, I, yeah, I had a great conversation with the CEO at, Auto, at Fuse Auto Tech here a few days ago, and and very impressive. I mean, it was clear that that he understood the the car buying process as much as anyone, and all of the technological issues uh, that that uh, having an online or digital system presents so so you were talking to colton yes yes and that guy is and, wicked smart he's only 35 yeah. and it pisses me I off know. i've known him for Jealous. 10 years and it's just like <laughs> you, can you share some of that it's not fair <laughs> jealous is all get out i mean he he handled every question and he had such a grasp of of all of the you know, the issues and things that, that that i think about just a much better grasp than even i do but but uh in fact, I was on a Zoom call not long after that conversation and mentioned Fuse Auto Tech as being one of the companies to watch here uh, over the next... Hey, Cliff, days. keep it down. They haven't given me any stock options yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, I really am I'm, I'm so tickled that you could be on the show. We're just about out of time. I, it's just uh, there's Cliff Banks, great automotive writer. I've met him a few times, always interested and what he has to say about our business. And, you know, these are exciting times. I completely agree that this, the business was pretty stagnant for a long time. The, the big change was, okay, for the next 10 years, the cars are going to be round, and after that, we'll make them square again, and then we'll go back to round. Now the change is, like, it's, it's crazy, and it's, it's fun. It's not boring. Uh, that wraps up Episode 80 of Walzer Automotive Group's Car Selling Secrets. Tune in next week. Uh, I have no special guests. We'll just make stuff up. Over and out. See you guys next week.